and welcome to episode 17 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. As always, I am joined by fellow co-founder, the man himself, the man with the nut, FFPC main event team. It is, of course, Evan Silva. Evan, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? Finally, the Eli era is over. <laughs> uh, we've got a chance to have some good football uh, back in the Meadowlands, well, at least from one team that plays the Meadowlands. Yeah. Uh, because that Jets-Browns game was a disaster on, uh, by the Jets, defensively and offensively. Love to see that 89-yard touchdown right in Greg Williams' fake glasses-wearing eye, though. <laughs> that, that was fantastic. <laughs> uh, it is good. Greg Williams is such a dork. It's crazy. Uh, okay. Uh, we need to get into it here, Evan. Week two brought a ton of injury news, a ton of it. Uh, we also learned a ton more about these teams, about these players. We also had Eli Manning benched, as you mentioned. So we thought it would be good to go team by team once again, just like last week. This episode, episode 17, will be the NFC and is free, just a small sliver of all the content slash information that we're putting out on a week-to-week basis beyond the paywall at Establish the Run. Episode 18 will cover the AFC and will also take some subscriber questions. So for anyone out there listening who hasn't signed up yet, we do have a monthly option out there. We do have a matchups, rankings, waiver wire only option out there. Uh, Get in there. Okay. Evan, let's get into it with the NFC. We're going to start with the Arizona Cardinals. And and yeah, Arizona has had some difficult spots to start the season. I think Detroit's defense, I think, is reasonably solid. Obviously, playing at Baltimore is difficult. Uh, Christian Kirk had a nice game, would top the buy low model, had a really nice game, 20 points at 2% ownership. What stands out to me, though, Evan, is Kyler Murray's running usage. And it's as if he's not even like taking the rushing lanes that are there. I mean, if you told me Kyler Murray had 17 rush yards through the first two games, I would say you're absolutely insane. Uh, Is that a fluke? Will Kyler Murray's rushing numbers increase as we move on here? Uh, I definitely think that he is not comfortable yet running the football in the NFL, Um, which, I mean, I don't blame him. He's like the smallest dude on the field every time he he lines up. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'll come. I think that it'll become more comfortable uh, after he breaks a couple. Uh, But, yeah, right now I don't think that we can make any assumptions in terms of his statistical projection uh, regarding his, his rushing usage week to week. Uh, anything else on uh, Arizona? We got a scare with David Johnson's wrist. Yeah. Looks like he's going to be okay. Yeah, I got a scare with David Johnson's wrist. Uh, Christian Kirk hit. He was the number one wide receiver in Josh Herms Myers' air yards by low model, exclusive to EstablishTheRun.com this year. Big hit. Went from, what, four for 32 in week one to six for 114 to lead the Cardinals in week two. Uh, so we, we will take that L. Uh, uh, w. I'm sorry. It's, it's <laughs> Uh, the haters okay. will take the L. The haters will take the L. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of haters out there. Okay. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, man, I, the big thing about me is I was so tilted that this game was not on the main slate. Just a perfect setup for Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Uh, Calvin Ridley, to me, a guy that I was trying to be high on in the preseason. It's going as expected. I think 16 targets in two games. Uh, what's not going as expected, Evan, is this Devonta Freeman disaster. And yeah, it, it's been tough. You know, the Eagles have a very good rush defense. The week one game up in Minnesota got away from them quickly in another really tough spot. But Edo Smith is playing more than I expected. And the run game is struggling, I think, as a whole, more than I expected. Everybody wants to know what they should be doing with Devonta Freeman. 
Yeah, and the Falcons lost their uh, starting uh, first-round guard, Chris Lindstrom, to a foot fracture. Um, they've had to play some musical chairs on the offensive line there. Uh, first-round uh, right tackle Caleb McGarry was in and out of the game on Sunday night. Uh, so they're often and – the, and he was out for most of the, the – almost the entire preseason due to, uh, like, heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have not had continuity on the offensive line. They've gone up against two of the best defensive fronts, as you mentioned, the Eagles and the Vikings. Now they're facing a Colts team that has really struggled uh, in run defense so far and uh, gives up a ton of production in the passing game to RBs. Devontae Freeman has really only made one good play so far this year, and it came on a 29-yard shovel pass on Sunday night against the Eagles where he got tackled inside the five. The narrative might be a little bit different if he had scored that touchdown. He did have 14 touches to Edo Smith's six. Um, he's playing 60% of the snaps. Edo's at 40. So he is the lead. He's not a workhorse back. He's not a bell cow back. He's not a feature back. He's the lead back in a running back by committee. And we need to adjust down expectations. But I do think that he's a good start this week in season long in daily fantasy, probably just not enough usage. Uh, let's go to Carolina because it's clear to anybody with two eyes that Cam Newton uh, was playing injured. And man, I, I love Cam. I thought Cam would have a big year this year uh, getting back from the shoulder. Now it seems he's having uh, a foot injury. Uh, he looks withered. And I've seen, you know, speculation out there. Well, they use Cam like a running back, right? Like Cam played like a running back. Maybe his career will be short like a running back was. And I hate to see that because Cam is just such an awesome player and an awesome fantasy player, but now he's questionable. I mean, we're recording this uh, Tuesday uh, afternoon. The word out of Carolina today was, man, it looks shaky for Cam to play in week three. Um, If Cam plays, can we start him? And if not, do you have any thoughts for the people on Kyle Allen? Because we actually didn't see a lot of Kyle Allen in the preseason this year because they used Will Greer a little bit more. Um, But yeah, what's going on with Cam and the Carolina quarterbacks? I mean, based on the news that we have, and we're recording this uh, just in the early afternoon on Tuesday, trying to get it out there for people doing waiver runs. I mean, Cam is real, real close to droppable right now in season long. I was actually going to maybe look at him as a a contrarian daily fantasy tournament play this week, but he re-injured his foot and he wasn't at practice on Tuesday. Uh, coming off the long week. And I mean, based on the information that we have right now, like I'm not expecting him to play in week three. Maybe that'll change uh, by the time this comes out or later in the week. But uh, yeah, I like I, I'm, I'm worried about his health now. Uh, what sure. about what about Kyle Allen? Do you have anything for the people on Kyle Allen? Yeah, I mean, he played really well in a week 17 spot start last year. Um, he, I remember he was a huge, huge high school recruit that kind of bounced around a little bit in college. And, yeah, we didn't see much of him this preseason because they played Will Greer so much. But, uh, I mean, I look, I think that Kyle Allen might be a little bit better than we think, but it's still real, real dicey for DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Greg Olson, uh, Christian McCaffrey. You certainly would much, much, much rather have a healthy cam out there or even an 85% cam than Kyle Allen, I think. Yeah. And we're going to talk about a bunch of these backup quarterback situations as we go along through these team by teams, because there's a lot of teams playing with new uh, and backup quarterbacks. Um, I do think I I would agree with Evan that Kyle Allen is one of the better ones that's stepping in uh, to a job. Doesn't mean that he'll be nearly as good as Cam. Uh, The Chicago Bears, 
Evan, I thought it was notable that David Montgomery's usage started to uh, increase off of week one. He got 67% of the running back carries. He also got three targets. Uh, It seems like maybe David Montgomery is separating uh, nice and early from Mike Davis. Uh, that's encouraging. Obviously, going to the, to Denver uh, was not a great spot, but they will have better spots going forward. Uh, what's your outlook on the Bears' backfield? Yeah, big step forward for David Montgomery. Um, Tariq Cohen, you know, we had him in the Shiaway 40 this year. He just really has, has not gotten it going, and I don't think he will. I mean, it was just it was such a big hit to him that David Montgomery and Mike Davis could ca- can catch, at, whereas you know last year he was quote unquote competing for running back targets with Jordan Howard, who literally can't catch. So that was always going to be a really big hit. Um, the Trubisky has been an absolute disaster, and he's finally going to get um, – although he has faced two really difficult matchups. I mean, Green Bay is looking like a stud defense. And uh, uh, at playing at Denver against Vic Fangio was never going to be a good spot for him. He does get to face Washington mm-hmm. in three, um, so hopefully he can – uh, perform a little bit better. Uh, Josh Roman, Josh Norman has just looked like toast, and Allen Robinson is still playing well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot to like right now in Chicago out of Allen, outside of Allen Robinson and um, and Dave Montgomery. Yeah, uh, Josh Norman is just done, and uh, Quentin Dunbar. I was reading today might not be able uh, to play this week or anytime in the foreseeable future either for the Redskins secondary. I mean, this secondary is one that I want to attack. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, I I would actually want to play Trubisky, uh, Allen Robinson stacks, but it is not on the uh, main slate this week. Uh, Dallas had a bad injury on a guy that we both really like. Michael Gallup uh, went down. Looks like he's going to miss two to four weeks with some type of knee scope, I believe. Uh, However, that does bring into play Devin Smith. And this is one of the waiver guys that uh, I want to talk about because I was impressed with Devin Smith in the preseason. Man, I played him uh, a bunch. Former second round pick of the Jets. Had some really bad injury uh, luck. But he looks like he has all his speed back. And Devin Smith was a flat baller uh, in preseason. Now he gets to play uh, with Dak. And I could see him playing every snap opposite Amari Cooper. Uh, and I don't think, you know, people are like, oh, what about Randall Cobb? Well, I don't think Randall Cobb's role really changes. The one who's getting the role change here uh, is Devin Smith. So, uh, yeah, what do you think about Devin Smith as a waiver ad, Evan? Yeah, exactly. So Randall Cobb has been like 89% slot. And Michael Gallup, through two games, only had one catch for eight yards in the slot. But this is not really a necessarily a situation where Randall Cobb is going to get elevated. I think it's just going to be a situation where Devin Smith jumps in one for one into the Michael Gallup role. I think that Amari Cooper, because he plays outside, could benefit. Um, Michael Gallup was leading the team in air yards and targets through two games. Amari's been great, but um, I think that Amari has a chance to be even greater. Devin Smith is going to be really, really interesting in week three because we're going to have Xavier Howard on Amari Cooper, and Devin Smith is going to have chances against, like, Jamal Wiltz and Eric Rowe, who have been just getting absolute destroyed mm-hmm. by uh, opposing wide receivers. And we'll talk about this kind of stuff much, much more on Friday, but Devin Smith is a priority waiver ad, especially if you need someone to play right away in week three, I mean, I think he's going to be, I think he's a wide receiver three starter immediately. And we'll, we'll be talking about him as a DFS play as the week progresses. Love it. Big week for team preseason this week, Evan. I'm actually nervous, yes. but but it's a big week for team <laughs> preseason. We're going to talk about a bunch more of these guys. Uh, 
Detroit, you know, I didn't have a lot on Detroit. I think carry-ons use is just, you know, we can bitch all we want, but it is what it is. He's going to play around 50 to 60% of the snaps and handle about 50 to 60% of the running back uh, touches unless there's an injury. You know, it, it just is what it is. Uh, I know people were disappointed with TJ Hawkinson. We, we talked about how uh, week one was going to be the best spot that Detroit would find all year facing Arizona, going to overtime, et cetera, et cetera. I thought TJ Hawkinson would be better in the box score than he he ended up being, but I did expect a regression and he still is running a route on 73% of Matthew Stafford's dropbacks this season, you know, right in line with Mark Andrews, 74% and slightly behind Darren Waller, uh, 86%. Uh, did you have anything on Detroit you wanted to talk about, Evan? Uh, not really. I would say that, I mean, Kenny Galladay really, really balled out in week two, a uh, big touchdown right in Casey Hayward's grill. You know, that's impressive. He's He's clearly the alpha over Marvin Jones and Marvin Jones, as we discussed last week. I mean, he's kind of approaching the point of like being droppable uh, in season long. Um, the The big thing was, you know, we talked about it like that week one game was so, so, so inflated by overtime and playing against the Cardinals. And then, you know, you lose like 20 snaps and Hawkinson bus and Amendola, I don't even think he had a catch in the game. Um, you know, and so that that's just, you know, that's why Pat Thorman's article can be so valuable. That's why adding context to things like this and understanding that, you know, when like, don't just look at last week's box score, you need some context added to that box score. Um, and that's how we kind of knew to avoid Amendola and, you know, just didn't have as much confidence in, in Hawkinson uh, because that that game was so inflated from a number of plays standpoint and a box score standpoint. Yeah, uh, let's go to Green Bay. Uh, Aaron Jones looked like he separated a little bit more from Jamal Williams, uh, but only outsnapped him 42 to 32. You know, the carries were where the big disparity was. Aaron Jones, 23 carries, Jamal Williams, nine. But Jamal Williams did run more routes. Uh, I'm optimistic that in better matchups, and Aaron Jones has a very tough schedule to start, in better matchups, we'll see some pop games from Aaron Jones still, uh, but I just hate to see Jamal Williams out there catching so many balls and running so many routes, Evan. Yeah, um, the final numbers look good for for Aaron Jones still. You know, it was uh, kind of tilting to see him get vultured early in the game. Jamal Williams played on the first drive, um, but Aaron Jones did kind of run away with it, and it, he played well, so definitely like to see that. Um, Devontae Adams bounced back immediately as expected from a slow opener. Uh, the offense is still not on track, though. They got off to a really hot start. They jumped out to an early 21 nothing lead, didn't score the rest of the way. Um, so very much still a work in progress um, offensively is Green Bay. Their, their defense is carrying this team. As we move to the Rams here, uh, people want to know about um, Daryl Henderson. Evan, I know we talked about it last week. He's a stash. It depends how big your bench is. We still think there's a chance Todd Gurley uh, is going to break down, at which point Daryl Henderson would likely fill uh, you know, the 1B role uh, to Malcolm Brown. But with people with short benches, I mean, Daryl Henderson played zero snaps. I think we can just move on. I mean, he's played two snaps through two weeks, right? Yeah, I mean, he's in like the Darwin Thompson sort of uh, situation right now. You know, number three back in a good offense where the health ahead of him is a little bit shaky. And, you know, he's going to need to catch a break to become a factor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you can afford to stash that, then I do it like I I'm stashing them wherever I possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you think that there are you know better guys to devote bench stash spots to, then go for it. 
Uh, I don't have much on Minnesota other than it's just so obviously Dalvin Cook season. Like he just ripped off another huge run. He's done it in every game that he's played, including the preseason. I mean, it's just hard for Dalvin Cook to fail with this scheme, uh, with his role. He he outtouched Alexander Madison. I think it was like 24 to four this past week. And now he gets a home game uh, against the Raiders. Does Dalvin Cook? I mean, obvious uh, lock for Dalvin Cook. I don't really have much else on the Vikings, do you? No, not really. I mean, Dalvin is going to be, I would expect him to be maybe the most popular play. I mean, what we'll see based on pricing, I haven't looked at any pricing yet here uh, on early Tuesday afternoon, but I would expect him to be maybe the highest on or the most popular play on the slate this week and, and for a good reason. Uh, all right. This New Orleans situation, man, uh, sucks about Drew Brees. Um, I've seen Teddy Bridgewater uh, play a reasonable amount because he played a bunch in the preseason last year. Uh, he got a week 17 spot start last year. He played a bunch this year, preseason, like full halves at a time. Uh, I have not been that impressed with Teddy Bridgewater. And and I don't love to say that because I thought Teddy Bridgewater was a pretty good prospect coming out and would succeed. And, and maybe uh, the injury that he suffered up in Minnesota uh, has tanked his career a bit, but he was outplayed by Taysom Hill uh, throughout the preseason. I, they're going to start Teddy. Uh, I'm not optimistic about Teddy sustaining the value for Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. And like, I know people want to say like when these backup quarterbacks come in, well, they'll just run the ball more. It'll be fine for Alvin Kamara. Like, it's just not it. Like you are going to lose red zone opportunities. Uh, You're going to lose time of possession when your offense is not as efficient. You don't get as many plays off. So uh, there's a lot of reasons to downgrade the Saints guys. Uh, What do you think about Teddy at this point in his career? And how much are you downgrading Michael Thomas Alvin Kamara really takes down the value of a guy like Latavius Murray, mm-hmm. um, you know, because your, you know, your, your thought process behind a guy like that is that this is going to be a octane offense where going to dominate, you know, pretty much facets. Their, their offense is good. Their defense is good. Their offensive line is great. Um, with regard to Teddy. Yeah. I mean, I think that he's going to, he has, he's like at risk of losing too many snaps to Taysom Hill to be usable in any kind of a format. Um, I would pro- like prioritize him in two quarterback leagues below Daniel Jones, below Mason Rudolph. Um, you know, so I, it, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a good situation. I mean, Michael Thomas expectation, I think goes way down. I'm actually, he's still going to get a good number of targets, but they're going to be less efficient targets based on the, based on Taysom Hill playing more. And he, I mean, he's not a passing quarterback really. And then Teddy Bridgewater, a big downgrade from um, Drew Brees. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a big gut punch to the entire offense. Uh, call me crazy. I think the Saints should get back Ryan Griffin and they'd still be on track to make the playoffs and, and when they get Drew Brees back. What, am I insane? Uh, I mean, that's that's aggressive. That's aggressive. <laughs> OK, <laughs> speaking of quarterbacks, except an upgrade. Uh, and, you know, this isn't like out of thin air. You know, Evan Lyron just like trying to pile on Eli or whatever, like. Uh, based on any stats, any eye test, Eli Manning has been among the worst quarterbacks in the league for the last two to three years. And if you watched preseason, I mean, there was almost no quarterback more impressive than Daniel Jones. He didn't get to play a lot. Uh, he played 60 snaps, which is like, you know, roughly around one game. But in that one game, he went in that 60 snaps, he went 29 of 34, 416 yards, two touchdowns, zero INTs. Uh, Daniel Jones was an absolute baller in the preseason. The only reason he didn't make all preseason first teams because he didn't play enough. Um, he's going to start week three at Tampa. 
Uh, I am optimistic that this offense and Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram will get a big jolt with Daniel Jones under center. Uh, I am excited. I would be adding Daniel Jones in deeper, you know, two quarterback super flex uh, type leagues with priority. Um, Am I overreacting to the preseason performance from Daniel Jones, Evan? I I mean, I guess only time can tell, you know, but just the level of athleticism that he adds to the offense and his arm strength, really, uh, both huge upgrades on Eli. I mean, Eli was just a fossil running around out there. And, yeah, thank God we don't have to watch him anymore. Um, Daniel Jones, yeah, he was really aggressive pulling the trigger on downfield throws, really both at Duke and, um, and during the preseason. I mean, that was something that stuck out to me during the preseason. I think it can absolutely be good news for Evan Ingram, who really is the Giants' field stretcher. Um, and then, you know, when, when Golden Tate comes back and Sterling Shepard comes back, they've got at least, you know, a somewhat viable – NFL caliber, low-end NFL caliber pass catcher core uh, altogether. Scott Barrett posted some stats from Pro Football Focus that they have been a top five pass protecting offensive line so far. So you love to see that. Um, And yeah, I mean, Daniel Jones, I think he's going to have some moments like maybe some Mitchell Trubisky sort of, you know, you know how Mitchell Trubisky had like spiked weeks last year. Um, I, I I have Daniel Jones in, um, in the Scott Fish Bowl and I'm, I, I'm excited to start him going forward they're going to face the Bucks this week without Devin White their first round inside linebacker who was a big time difference maker in the first two weeks when he was healthy yeah totally agree on, on Daniel Jones and I'm also you know I, you could make cases that Saquon uh was even like Saquon put out outrageous numbers you know like top three fantasy numbers but uh what he's going to do with a real quarterback under center I think is uh something that will be exciting um the Philadelphia Eagles, man, I don't know what happened, but Dallas Goddard got hurt in pregame, allowing Zach Ertz to play every single snap. They only had two tight ends uh, up on the roster. Uh, Deshaun Jackson got hurt. Alshon Jeffrey got hurt. And man, if you would have told me before the game that uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was going to play 74 out of 80 snaps and only catch like one ball for four yards, I would have told you you're absolutely insane. Uh, I kind of think that D-Jax and Alshon are both going to miss Again this week, where are you placing Arcega Whiteside, uh, Mac Hollins, et cetera, on the waiver wire priority? Yeah, um, thankfully I don't have to do the waiver wire article. We got we got Ryan on that um, because the waiver wire, wire article is not easy, uh, and and you know it's situations like this that that make it make it difficult. Uh, but yeah, the beat writers, Doug Peterson, very much made it sound like Alshon and Djax are not going to be playing this week against the Lions. I think that the first guy you go to is J.J. Arce- well, the first guy you probably go to is Nelson Aguilar. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the Lions have just been getting creamed in the slot. It was week one, it was, um, it was Larry Fitz. In week two, it was Keenan Allen. I mean, and they even stuck, tried to stick Darius Slay on him in the slot and could not cover Keenan Allen, wound up dr- drawing three penalties, or else it would have been a much bigger day for Keenan Allen uh, in week two. Um, but, yeah, Aguilar has a good matchup in the slot against uh, the Lions. And then J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is going to be the guy on the outside getting you – know, he's probably going to play like every single snap. Um, so I, they're pretty close together. I do like the, the just the individual matchup for week three favoring Nelson Aguilar. Uh, okay, and also people want to know what to do with Miles Sanders. Obviously, uh, he's not playing well. I think the coaches uh, have noted that, uh, and that was a concern – 
you know, what he needed to do to separate from a committee was to play really well and just blow uh, Jordan Howard and Darren Sproles out of the water. Uh, he's not doing that now. Uh, it's a major concern. Uh, obviously, we don't want to drop Miles Sanders, but people are already asking the question, Evan. Yeah, I mean, really shouldn't have been a guy that you were ever leaning on as an early season starter, you know, um, and it was a guy that we kind of knew he was going to have to work his way into a feature back role. And like you said, he has not done that. He has held on to the football, which was a problem for him at Penn State, but he's not finishing through final contact. He's bouncing too many runs outside. You know, he's trying to get used to the, you know, the running scheme and, just the, the overall flow of the offense. And, um, you know, they, they've had some offensive line. They've also lacked offensive line continuity. I mean, Jason Kelsey, their center, came out of uh, last week's game, uh, for instance. And uh, they've, they've had to juggle some guys uh, up front. So everything is not clicking for their running game. He is playing the most in the backfield. He's still getting the most opportunities. But right now, I think you view him as an RB4 uh, on your bench. Uh, I was optimistic, or maybe not optimistic, but I was hopeful that with Tevin Coleman down for the 49ers, Matt Breida would uh, become, you know, not 50-50, but 60-40 or 70-30 or, you know, God forbid, 75-25 over Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. But while this game was close in week two, and it wasn't close for that long, but through two and a half quarters when it was reasonably close, Matt Breida, 13 touches, Raheem Mostert, 11, Jeff Wilson, two. And I mean, Matt Breida was just shredding. I think he averaged like 10.5 yards per carry or something totally uh, insane. So that was a little bit frustrating for me. Uh, still like uh, Matt Breida, obviously a smash play in season long. Uh, I just can't give him more than, I don't know, 15 touches uh, in a game. Uh, how do you see this running back thing uh, working out? Is there any chance for Breida to get 20 touches in a game? Uh, I don't think they want him there. I mean, look, the dude is when he came out of school, uh, Georgia Southern, he was like 184 pounds. Mm -hmm. So I am going to continue to like him as an RB two play, but for him to really get up into that RB one range, like it's going to take kind of like, you know, quote unquote, quote unquote, good fortune and injuries are not good fortune, but it, it might take another guy getting hurt. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, uh, by the way, if you haven't already dropped Tevin Coleman, I would just just do it because uh, he's got a high ankle sprain, which is typically a four or six week injury. And when it comes back, like he's not going to take this backfield away from Mostert and, and Breida and Jeffrey Wilson. Um, I, I do anticipate it continuing to be a three man committee in the receiver core. You know, Debo's this is a really frustrating situation because they've got five guys playing almost the exact the same number of snaps. It's like. The, the number one receiver in terms of snaps was at 34. And then the, uh, the number five receiver was at like 22 uh, in week two. So it's a big five-man rotation. Debo Samuel, um, he was amazing in this week two game. I love the way that they used him. They got him going on like jet sweeps and end around, you know, big pass deep down the middle, some, some stuff along the sideline. I mean, they, they were using him everywhere but he was the number four receiver in terms of snaps played in week two. So these guys are just going to be really, really unreliable. I think George Kittle right now is the best buy low in all of fantasy football. Number two this week on uh, Josh Hermes Myers air yards by low model. 
I uh, love it. Yeah. We're going to talk more about uh, buy low, sell high in uh, the next episode, in the AFC, at the end of the AFC episode. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks, uh, you know, I'm excited about Chris Carson and the role in the pass game. Uh, what concerns me is he's fumbled, I believe, twice already this season. And he's been three times, man. Th- three, three times. Three lost yeah. fumbles. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's been inefficient. I mean, he's he's like under four yards of carry by a pretty wide margin. I'm not going to overreact to that after uh, two weeks. But one of those was against the Bengals, who, uh, you know, were one of the worst teams against running backs last year. And then just got absolutely shredded by three undrafted free agents on San Francisco. Uh, anyways, uh, Rashad Penny started to creep into Chris Carson's workload a little bit last week. Do you have concerns about where we're at with Chris Carson? Um, I think it was promising that after he lost a crucial fumble deep in steel in Seahawks territory last week, they went back to him for a fourth and one carry uh, pretty much immediately after that on their next um, on their next possession. And he executed. So that gave me a little bit of a sigh of relief. But, yeah, I started to get worried. I mean, Rashad Penny played more than he normally would have played last week. And he had a huge 37 yard just rocket rocket launcher run. Uh, for a touchdown in that game, uh, I, I'm not I'm not terribly worried about Chris Carson, but I'm certainly more worried about him than I was last week. Yeah, well, one other thing about Seattle, I saw. I mean, DK Metcalf is dominating over Jerron Brown. I mean, Jerron Brown's out there a ton, but not getting any targets. And Russell Wilson likes throwing to DK Metcalf, even though DK Metcalf, if you look at his like next gen stats, route tree, it's just all just like left side straight up the field, which is fine because. Uh, he can win that way. I mean, that's just how he wins. And so uh, we were on, uh, Evan was on Tyler Lockett big time. And I think, you know, it's going to keep flipping and flopping. They're going to be like, oh, we need to guard DK Metcalf. We need to guard Tyler Lockett. I mean, I'm still optimistic about DK Metcalf having some huge games this year. It's just so inefficient, so efficient when you're catching passes from Russell Wilson. Yeah, you know, that's how, that's exactly how he was used at Ole Miss. Yep. He only played on one side of the field, only played on the left side of the field. And he just run goes and, and the occasional like screen. And, you know, that's what he did. And I, I kind of liked that the Seahawks are doing that. They're like, we're not going to ask you to do anything different. You know, we're just, we're going to ask you to do what you are comfortable doing because we've got other versatile players. Will Disley, by the way, coming up for them huge. But Tyler Lockett, I mean, he, you know, he had like what, 17, 18 uh, PPR points this last game, career high, 10 catches it was kind of tilting that he didn't break any of those for a big play because that's what Tyler Lockett does. I mean, he was what, like 17 yards per catch last season. Um, but he ate kind of like we anticipated. Uh, and he had a, you know, even despite not breaking a big play, had a big fantasy day in the box score. But yeah, Russell Wilson, that was one of the best games I have ever seen him play. That's not even exaggerating. Uh, Next Gen Stats had him getting the ball out in 1.8 seconds, the fastest time that they have recorded in an individual game since 2016. He was just on point, ripping up that man coverage defense of the Steelers. Uh, okay, the team that everybody wants to talk about is the Tampa Bay Bucks because a lot of people are rostering O.J. Howard on their season-long team, and O.J. Howard has only run a route on 45 of Jameis Winston's uh, 75 dropbacks. Uh, Cameron Brait has run a route on 31. And so Bruce Arians doesn't use tight ends. Twitter out, Evan, is out there taking victory laps. They're saying, we win. You see, we knew it. Bruce Arians doesn't use his tight end. OJ Howard uh, isn't being targeted, uh, isn't running routes. Uh, what do we have to say to the OJ Howard owners right now? I mean, OJ Howard has just played like crap. In the first game, 
He lost a fumble in the end zone. He dropped a pass. He got a penalty. He finished with 32 yards on five targets. And then on the quick turnaround, going to the Thursday, I mean, they don't have, like, time to game plan. They do, like, one walkthrough before the game. Um, he wasn't involved in the passing game plan. And Jameis Winston did not have a lot of attempts. It was like a Peyton Barber, feature Peyton Barber game. So, and so when you understand, like, what, you know, what all led up to that, you can understand that O.J. Howard, why O.J. Howard was a zero in week two. Um, I think that what you do with him in week three is if you can't find a better option, like, I don't know, going off the top of my head, I mean, I'd probably look at Will Disley over him. Um, no, I'd, you know, I certainly I'd, I'd start uh, Darren Waller over him. Um you know, Vance McDonald was a guy that might have been dropped in by some, you know, fickle owners in week one. I would certainly pick him back up. You know, we talked about how he was very, very likely to bounce back in that week two game. Um, I don't know. That's just probably, probably weak suggestions going off the top of my head. Read the matchups column for sure uh, for any ideas. Uh, but I think that you just treat him as a boomer bust guy right now because he's on, kind of in the doghouse a little bit. I mean, that's how Bruce Arians has talked about him. Like, he's got to play better or else we're not going to involve him in the passing game when he's fumbling the ball into the end zone. I mean, like, it's not like O.J. Howard isn't a talented guy. Like, that's not in doubt. It's just he's played like shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would disagree. I, maybe I'll just – I'm more likely to go down with the ship. I would play O.J. Howard at home against the Giants over Will Disley and probably over Darren Waller. But I, I've been prone to get too stubborn – uh, with guys that I liked before the season, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, on a long week, they're going to find a way to get OJ Howard more involved. Speaking of, uh, a long week, we got a lot of questions from people. They want to know if Jameis is still going to be a viable starting quarterback going forward. Um, again, long week home against the giants. Uh, this would be a prime spot to me for Jameis and this game and this past game to really have a pop-off game. Uh, I would be sticking with Jameis. What do you think, Evan? Yeah, I mean, the situation with O.J. Howard is just like, I am willing to kind of like give a guy a wait and see week on my bench and try something else. And then if the dude you know shows up with good usage and good production, like I don't kick myself for benching him. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to roll with him the next week. You know, like that's, that's like kind of my process in situations like that. With Jameis, um, it's still like kind of, it's still kind of like, He's on the fringe still um, just because there are so many good quarterback options. There's so, and we have all of them at our disposal. I mean, this is, we have not even hit any bye weeks yet. So he's fringy, you know, and I mean, you're certainly not playing him over like Dak Prescott or, or Russell Wilson or, or anybody like that. So it just comes down to your options. Pat Thorman, we have one of the best rankers in the business. He's really going to help you be able to sort through all that. Uh, I mean, he's finished, what, top five in Fantasy Pros rankings in, what, three of the past five years. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, by the way, Evan, before we move to the Washington, the last team, I did want to note that Chris Godwin uh, is now more expensive uh, on both DraftKings and FanDuel than Mike Evans. Just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, like last week, I just wanted to say I was the first one to let everybody know that Chris Godwin was actually the Bucks' best receiver. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, the Washington Redskins. I mean, there's not a lot to say here. I mean, Terry McLaurin looks like a legit, uh, 
very good player and he is being used in a way that if he had better quarterback play and better scheming and, and just a better offense around him, he's being used in a way that would be very exciting. All that said, uh, it's still going to be a week to week battle for Terry McLaurin just because he plays for the Redskins. That's about all about all I had on them. Anything on the Redskins? Uh, it was it was fun. The early uh, Adrian Peterson touchdown was fun, but it got ugly real, real quick. And now playing the Bears, no thanks. All right. That is going to do it for this NFC team by team podcast. The AFC version will be uh, on the site, establishtherun.com, will not be on iTunes. So go ahead, go over to establishtherun.com, check it out, and we will see you there hopefully for Evan. For producer Luke, for Jerry barking like a maniac at the mailman today, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. (laughs) 